Hello and Happy New Year. Welcome to BIPAC News on the Jewish TV channel, where Israel and the diaspora unite to take bipartisan action against anti-Semitism, against the AIM syndrome, anti-Semitism, Israel phobia, and miseducation. I'm Laura Kessler, and today I'm joined by our international correspondent, Lauren Isaacs, live from Jerusalem to help launch the new year with us. Now, many of you may already know Lauren. For those who don't, she's originally from Toronto, Canada. She made Aliyah to Israel in 2020. She lives in Jerusalem. She's worked in Israel advocacy for many, many years. We'll talk about that. And now she's a licensed tour guide in Israel, which I hear is not the easiest thing to become. So she's a rising star of her generation and one of the most enthusiastic people I know in Jewish advocacy. So welcome, Lauren. Happy New Year. And how are you doing? Thank you so much for having me here. It's so good to talk to you. Yeah, I'm good. I'm physically healthy, physically safe. Thank God. And I'm just excited to talk to you today. Oh, me too. Me too. Now, Lauren, we've been talking for quite a while. And your first pilot has been in development uh, for a while. But as we know, so many crazy world events keep happening and changing the landscape. So it's kind of evolved over time and gotten a bit broader. Tell our audience about the new show, the types of scenes you'll be contributing to Jewish TV channel and BIPAC. Yeah, I mean, as we've seen, the news every day changes, something changes, and it's hard to keep up with everything. But mostly, uh, hopefully, what we're going to be doing here is on-the-ground videos of daily goings-on, what's going on in Israel, in the country, in Jerusalem also, with regard to the war, but also with regard to tourism and other current events. Um, you know, just trying to keep people up to date and give them an on-the-ground perspective about what's really happening here. And, and mostly what's, you know, taking over everything now is obviously the war, but in time that will change as well. Absolutely, absolutely. How are people doing around you? Um, what's the mood been like lately? I, I ask that of everybody I talk to in Israel each time. Right. It's very difficult. I will say it's very difficult. Life on October 7th came to a stop, and it was irrevocably changed forever. We know for Jews all around the world, but here in Israel, life has not started again, right? We are now in a new sort of existence. We're in a war, and all our efforts really as a nation are being contributed to the war effort, and everyone's generally very somber here. You know, it's serious. It's difficult. There's a, an understanding that everyone's in a state of mourning, right? Everyone's in a sort of different state of mourning because new names are released every day in the news about people who are dying, new names. I mean, just, just this week we found out that some people we thought were killed turns out were kidnapped, you know, uh, 13 weeks ago and, and vice versa. And it's just, it's something that is hard to really compute. It's really hard to understand everything that's going on, but mostly everyone's in a, in a state of mourning here. So the country is is different. We have a national sense of unity. We have a lot of pride here in being Jewish, in, in being proud of being Zionists, and everyone is sort of supporting one another, which is amazing. We've never seen unity like this before. But overall, it is a sad mood, I would say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they intentionally have designed it to have a slow drip of trauma and pain for us. And that's what's just so tragic here. But it's also bittersweet to see how people are, are coming together. I have to ask, what was, what was your October 7th like? How, how did the day unfold for you? 
Um, thank God I was in Jerusalem at the time, so I was not in the immediate danger in the south. Um, it was Simchat Torah, right? It was, it was Shabbat and the holiday of Simchat Torah. Mm-hmm. I was sleeping uh, at 7 in the morning when the sirens went off for the first time in Jerusalem. The sirens woke me up. I was shocked out of my sleep. I had no idea what was happening, but immediately, you know, you live in Israel and you know when you hear the sirens, it's an instinctual run to the bomb shelter. So I ran to my uh, bomb shelter and I stayed in there for a while and the sirens just kept coming and coming. And it was very strange because we rarely get sirens in Jerusalem, very, very rarely. Um, And then, uh, you know, we started getting drips and drabs of of information. I personally don't have the TV or the news on on Shabbat or on holidays, but my neighbors across the hallway, they had their TV on, and they were coming over the hall to tell me every couple of minutes, oh, you know, we see 10 people have died and 20 people have died and 20 people have been kidnapped to Gaza, and I couldn't understand what was going on. Nobody could understand. This was unprecedented. Um, But ultimately, by the end of the day, you know, they said something like 150 of our people had been killed, and that number, that number was so shocking. No one really was internalizing it. Everyone who heard that number was saying, no, it can't be. We can't believe this. It can't really be over 100 people who were killed. You know, little did we know that, that in the next two, three days, we would find out that it was, 1200 people who were killed not just 100 but um yeah yeah unfortunately i lost uh, friends thank god i did not lose family um but i lost friends i lost friends both in the army and friends who just lived in the south who were killed on that day and in the days following and it's it's been difficult i mean everybody has their own story everyone has their own connections i will tell you one story when that <clears throat> i volunteer with soldiers through an organization usually not in times of war just in in regular times and the last time I volunteered with them was about two weeks before October 7th and about two days after October 7th on the 9th or the 10th something like that my friend who volunteers with me with this soldier organization he sends me a picture of all the soldiers in the unit who we saw two weeks ago and pictures of us mm-hmm. with them smiling, chilling, hanging out. And I didn't know why he was sending this to me. I thought, yeah, that's nice to reminisce, you know, maybe trying to keep our spirits up. But then he sends me a text following, and the text says, all the soldiers in this picture are dead. And that really crushed me. You know, these guys are my friends, and I just saw them two weeks ago, and I didn't even know how to conceptualize mm-hmm. all of them are dead. What are you telling me? You're sending me a photo of nine, eight, nine guys, and they're all dead. It was just, uh, you know, everybody's been touched by this and everyone's been rocked. And I think the nation will be mourning for, for many, many years to come. Yeah, yeah, that's so incredible just to know people so vibrant one day and then they're gone like that and they were defending yes. Israel. It's just such such a tragedy, um, all of that. And I know you're doing some other things with some organizations. Um, can you talk about some of the organizations on the ground that – are helping specifically as so many people say, where, where can we help? How can we help? There's so many people have come together. People from other places are coming in to help with agriculture. Can you give us some of the, the positive news? Um, Cause oh, we yeah, need some definitely. of that too. There's so many places to donate to or to volunteer your time or your resources to help. I mean, so many great organizations, for example, in tier two is working to hand out food to the soldiers on bases That's a wonderful organization and a wonderful initiative. And then there's the organization Unity Warriors, 
which is based in Judea and Samaria, right, in the, in the Gush area. And they also, they give trauma kits and medical equipment and tactical gear to the soldiers. They drive it right down to them on the front, whether they're on the south or the north. And if you donate stuff there, money or gear, it goes directly to the soldiers. It's amazing. And then there's a, uh, an organization that I was with that runs barbecues for the soldiers um, while they're doing that. And really, you can donate to any hotel right now that's housing refugees, housing, you know, Israelis who've been displaced from their homes. And you can volunteer time to spend with them, or you can donate clothing or food for the children or toys. It's really amazing. You could pretty much donate whatever you want anywhere. And Kibbutz Be'eri, you know Kibbutz Be'eri, which was absolutely destroyed mm-hmm. in the south, in the Gaza mm-hmm. envelope. You can donate to them. They're requesting money to begin plans for rebuilding, completely rebuilding all the buildings and all the houses down there. So that's a, a wonderful initiative. I have some friends who live in Kibbutz Be'eri, and they would love to start rebuilding soon. So there's so many worthwhile causes where people are donating their time, money, and resources right now, and it really gives you sort of a, a glowing sense of pride that we can make a difference and we can help and we can come together and, and impact the country positively. That is so good to hear. And I, I think, are they the ones that I saw some of the people, the survivors that were living in a hotel, actually turned the tables and they did a really nice meal for the hotel staff where they waited on them and uh, somebody filmed it. Did you, did you hear about that? I saw it on Facebook oh, and yeah. it was really That's great. A, yeah, that was so cute. I don't know which one it was, which town. You might be right. It was, it was something from the south. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, and that is just so the spirit of the Israeli people. They 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 take a lot of pain, but they give back and they keep going. And I think that's an inspiration for all Jews in the world. Um, absolutely. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 So I want to back up a little and get the perspective of a Canadian and what Canada is like right now. I know you recently went home to visit and. You know, we've been covering a lot about anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism in the diaspora, college campuses, on my show and other shows on Jewish TV channel. And you have long been on the front lines helping the fight in Canada. So tell us a little bit about growing up in Canada, what it's like to be Jewish there, and also what inspired you to make Aliyah. Yeah, so, I mean, Canada is, is in, in one regard, great. I'm very happy I grew up there and had a, a great childhood there. On the other hand, I will say over the past number of decades, and especially since October 7th, it's been getting progressively worse for Jews and Zionists and anyone who's sort of pro-Israel in that regard on university campuses, but also just the protest in the streets and stuff like that. When I went back to visit this time, I did come face-to-face with several Palestinian rallies and anti-Israel rallies and horrible rhetoric that I really, it sort of embarrassed me that I... I'm Canadian-Israeli now. Uh, It's embarrassing that this is sort of the mindset and the narrative that Canada is uh, perpetuating. It's not uh, pro-Israel. It's not friendly towards, you know, the only democracy in the Middle East, the only country here in the Middle East that's trying to be a a light unto the nations. It really is not a good place for Jews right now, and we can see that with, with the physical violence, the campus intimidation of students, but also the rhetoric just on the streets, Palestinian flags flying everywhere. Police don't let, you know, pro-Israelis uh, have demonstrations. They only let pro-Palestinians have demonstrations. It's a whole mess. It's a balagan, as we call it. 
It has been horrible. You're also a heavyweight in the field of Jewish advocacy for your generation. Talk a little bit about the things you've done in the past and, and what you're doing currently. Right. So in the past, I worked for different organizations like Hasbro Fellowships and Herut Canada and all these things. And in the past, yeah, we did advocacy, especially around campus life with university students. And I will say the rhetoric has changed. I mean, I would debate students on campus, and we would hold events and talks, and of course we were protested. I mean, I remember one time in 2019 uh, when I brought uh, reservist Israeli soldiers to York University, and the Palestinian mobs protested so much. They, we, the police had to be called, and it, was, it, was a, it made all the newspapers and the prime minister and the mayor commented on how violent the anti-Israel mobs were and all these things. But nowadays, I mean, now you cannot even have these dialogues anymore. There's no space for Jewish students on campus to even uh, give this side, let alone enter a debate or have one group protesting against another group. It's just simply intimidation, fear tactics, verbal and physical violence against the Jewish students and Israel groups. They don't even allow you to have these these pro-Israel uh, rallies anymore. So it has gotten progressively worse, but this is nothing new, I would say. I mean, given my history in the advocacy field, uh, we've seen this all before. It's just gotten markedly worse since the war started. Yeah, I remember. I remember that day at York University, and that was really the first. I think that was the first big, really scary protest at a university that I can remember at least. And then we started seeing them more here as well. And of course, now this is the you know rule more than the exception, unfortunately. But um, it's not hard to see why exactly. you wanted to make Aliyah. <laughs> uh, I think a lot exactly. of people are, are, are thinking about making Aliyah, though we need we need the good people here too. Um, but you yeah. know, you're going to be covering. You'll be covering a lot of things, and you know it's it's just so important to keep that dialogue going. And how do you think we can increase the dialogue between Israel and the diaspora? And you know sometimes there's sort of a lag there. Sometimes maybe we don't understand each other as well as we could. But there's a lot of great people that are trying to build those bridges more. What do you think um, would help with that? Yeah, uh, sure. I mean. I think we need to keep spreading truth, and the truth is a great jumping-off point for talking, for education, for events, and for getting people involved and feeling empowered. There's nothing more empowering than being armed with facts and education, and there's nothing more empowering than being on the right side of history. We are on the correct side, and thus we need to keep the education going. We need to just keep spreading the facts and the truth, and that will ultimately keep the dialogue going and History will judge this moment, and history will judge all the players involved. And the good news is we are on the right side of history. We just have to keep, uh, keep our spirits up and know that and, and keep our convictions, you know? Absolutely. Well said. Well said. And so before we close, your first episode of the new year is about to come out in a few days, and you gave the audience a virtual tour of the Nova Music Festival. Tell us about that. And... I can only imagine what it would felt like being there. Oh yes, um, I just—it's so important to to put all this um, on video and to record all this because this is history, right? This is our history in the making. And for those who mm. can't be in southern Israel and who can't experience it firsthand, 
this is the best thing for them to do, to watch it and to feel it and to really let it hit home. It was so emotional and so heartbreaking and so heavy to be there. You're at a site. You're in a, a giant field where the party took place, where the rave took place, where all these young people were dancing and singing weeks ago, right before they, they did not know they were about to be slaughtered. They did not know they were about to be massacred. They didn't know they were going to be kidnapped. And, you know, there are these memorials. All their faces are in the field on pictures. There are these posts with their pictures on them. And it's really a, a place where everyone is coming to just pay their respects, to memorialize these young people, to commiserate, to really feel it. Everyone's experience is a little different. It was just, it was overwhelmingly powerful and sad at the same time. And there are these plaques and memorials. And, and the thing is, most of the people who were there at that rave were not religious, right? Because the, the party was on a Shabbat, a, a Jewish holiday. But um, in Judaism, we understand that anyone who gets killed just because they're a Jew dies for a holy purpose in Judaism. They die on Kiddush Hashem. It means they die for a religious reason, even if they themselves weren't religious. And all these people got slaughtered just because they were Jewish. So they died and sort of elevated the name of Judaism. It's sort of a beautiful thing. Their last moment of existence was this religious thing in Judaism, even though none of them were religious. So it's, it's a fascinating thing to be there and to see this and to feel it. And they have a big poster with all the, you know, the 380 names of the people who were killed at the Nova Music Festival. And I encourage anyone who's in Israel to go visit in the south there. But if you can't, definitely watch this episode and, and feel it with us. Oh, it's very, very moving. I watched it many times. I cried. And I mean, you, you know, you can light a Yorkshire candle and it has the, the pictures of each one. It almost looks like they planted a tree. I don't know if that's just a pole or, um, yeah, or I, it's, it's I'm a metal sure. Pole. It's a metal pole, but it's in a little patch of grass, sort of symbolize, you know, living and, and rebirth and that the life lives on. Um, even though the rest of the field is barren. It's quite moving how they did it. It's very moving. I mean, in such a short time, I'm sure they'll be doing other things to more formalize it, but it's, it's raw and it really, it, it's sacred ground. It's absolutely sacred exactly. ground. And it was wonderful of you to take us through that so our audience can look for that um, on BIPAC News. And Lauren, we look forward to that and, so many other things and hopefully some good news as well with you this year. Um, want to just welcome you again to the team and it's just so good having you with us. Thank you so much. And, and we're going to keep doing great work and hopefully bringing the news and all the information to everyone. And I look forward for a please God, a great year for us and good news for Israel as well. Once again, be on the lookout for Lauren Isaacs and her new show, Israel Right Now, as well as reporting on BIPAC News on various matters. And also, tune into BIPAC. This year, we're going to be covering some new things in a deep way, including Jewish mental health, interfaith allies, and peace warriors. And you'll be seeing some new faces, including some of our youth correspondents. That's it for this crossover edition of Talking Point and BIPAC News. For the Jewish TV channel, I'm Laura Kessler. See you next time.